0: sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour you'll find them at the back of the range and here's your host ben Adelberg. and thanks again for hanging out here at the back of the range golf podcast i'm your host ben Adelberg, and this is episode four That big voice you just heard right there, yeah, that's Mitch Phillips. Check him out at mpvoice.com. He makes us look really good each and every week, and we cannot thank him enough for his support of the podcast. Before we get into this week's guest, we are sending a huge thank you and congratulations down to Santiago, Chile. Our international correspondent, Ashley Burke, was on site at the Latin America Amateur Championship earlier this week. She herself is an accomplished amateur just recently wrapping up her collegiate career at the University of South Florida. She'll be a future guest here on the podcast. You'll hear her again soon. But right now, she is down in Chile celebrating with some of the local guys that just completed the tournament. Claudio Correa posted a top 25. Last year's winner, Toto Gana, had an impressive top 10. And now we get to the number one ranked amateur in the world, Joaquin Neiman. He shot a final round 63. Yeah, and along with the second round 64, that gave him a five-shot victory. He is the Latin America amateur champion, and that got him a place in the 2018 Masters. Yes, he is going to Augusta in April. So, Joaquin, congrats, bud. Uh, Thank you to Ashley. She provided some great video and photos throughout the entire final round, and I have posted them on our Instagram account. Yes, we are on Instagram, at the back of the range. You can get all sorts of stuff there. We're posting all of the time. Also, thank you so much for spreading the word about this podcast. It is growing faster than I could have ever possibly imagined. Um, In fact, the luck of the Irish has found its way to the podcast. So to all our listeners now in Ireland, thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy it. So for this episode, since we just got done talking about some young college players, it seemed like a perfect time to reflect back on some of my college days. Uh, Luckily for me, I was able to play a couple of years of college golf at St. Thomas University in Miami, Florida, and today we're going to talk about one of the truly crazy characters on that team. This week's guest is Willie Spicer. So no matter what level, it seems like every college golf team has that one guy that could just flat out play no matter the circumstances. You remember that guy, right? He hit a few parties, stayed up all night, showed up on the first tee at 7 a.m., and he'd shoot even par like it was nothing. Sounds pretty legendary, right? Yeah, that was not me. No, that guy on our team was Willie Spicer. Willie is a Wayne, New Jersey high school sports star in football and golf, and he parlayed that into success into a college scholarship at Seton Hall University. After a couple years, he found his way down to Miami at St. Thomas, which is where we met, and uh, I lost touch with him over the years, but we've reconnected and had some good stories to share and thought he'd be a perfect guests for something light and fun for the podcast. So we're going to ask Willie about his relationship with the game of golf and how it's changed since his time in college. Apparently, he's now a vice president in the insurance game. I have no idea how that happened, but, but we're also going to discuss what it's like to play in some of the most over-the-top member guest tournaments in the most exclusive country clubs in the Northeast. And if we're lucky, he'll explain what a transfusion is and why everyone needs to try one. So Willie, welcome to the back of the range.
1: Hey Ben, thanks for having me. Really an honor to be on this podcast. I never thought my life would end up on the back of the range.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, it's gonna get much worse from here. Don't worry, man. So so <laughs> so Spice, now, you know, we we have like I said, we've known each other for, for nearly twenty years, and our route to to meeting in playing in college golf could not possibly be more different and we're going to get into a lot of things about your beginning in golf and how we ended up at, at St. Thomas down in Miami and then where you've gone after college golf and where I've gone but um, we actually were supposed to to do this podcast episode a few days ago and uh, you actually had to call and cancel and your excuse was what?
1: Yeah, I had the honor and privilege of going to the President's Cup. Um, really cool place. Obviously, Liberty National with the Statue of Liberty and the skyline in the background is just a phenomenal place. And uh, having the opportunity to go there and, and see the greats of the game was uh, was pretty awesome. They had the bar plays there, and uh, I went to that. But they changed up the course a little bit, so the front nine had to be like 4,000 yards they shuffled a couple of holes around, and uh, the one consistent thing there was the cocktails. The 19th hole was the exact same.
0: <laughs> so, so again, now you're saying that it was different for the Barclays than it was for the Presidents Cup. Now, you know, obviously, people that were watching the the first hole that. I mean, you got water dead left and, and actually, I think Justin Thomas sniped one left into the water and it looks like a tough driving hole. So you're saying that it's a lot different for the President's Cup. They did a lot of work there to make it different than what it was just a regular tour event?
1: Well, when they had the regular tour event, it was that was still the first hole, but a lot of the holes on the back nine, they rerouted. I mean, the 14th hole along the Hudson, probably the greatest hole there, was formerly the 18th hole. Um, that first... T definitely, with those big stands and everything, got it a lot more narrow than, than it was for, for the PGA Tour, for the Bark Base. Actually, did you see some guys, I know Patrick Reed, a bunch of guys hit it left of the creek on one. So, yeah, that, that creek comes, I mean, most balls, we were actually down by the bottom there. Most balls were landing probably within four or five paces of the creek.
0: Okay. And, and what was just the general, like, I've personally have never been to a team event. Uh, uh, I've been to a handful of PGA Tour events, but I've never been to a Presidents or Ryder Cup or Solheim. Uh, you know, w- what are the crowds like?
1: So, interestingly, this was the first time I think that they've ever had three presidents as close as they really were, okay. like within a foot of each other. So security was beyond tight. Knowing that, we, you know, had our driver take us down quite early. To make sure we could get in um but they they were shuttling you over to liberty park science center then you have to take a bus over and they drop you off basically out on the back nine and you have to walk your way in and make your way through the uh the village which that's where most of the guys in the wild outfits hang out okay which is awesome they have food trucks cornhole giant TVs outside. I mean, it's like a whole nother party there. I guess that's like the appetizer. You get primed up in there and then you walk out and, you know, you get to walk about a mile and a half, two miles to get to the first tee. And, uh, you know, it was wild when they're introducing the, the, the presidents, they had bagpipers, they hit some, uh, stuff for some fallen heroes prior to. So it was really, you know, pretty cool. It was like a stadium. I mean, I've been out to the, the Waste Management out in, in Arizona, so I know that stadium feel. But this was even more personal and close. It's not like a regular tour event. It is loud.
0: Okay, because personally, I've always kind of shied away from going to a – and I, I I will go to a Ryder Cup. I will go to a President's Cup. But I've kind of shied away from it because I'm thinking, you know, how close can you get? Are, are you going to get that same uh, spectator experience so you're saying that it's, you're even closer and you're getting that good feel, even though it's not just a typical tour event.
1: You are. I mean, I had luck of the draw with going on Thursday because they were only playing one round. Tickets were quite expensive, so people probably were going to elect to go on the weekend or Friday when they were playing twice. So there wasn't, I mean, there was a lot of people, but there wasn't an inability to get close to the players. If you, if you knew the course and were able to map it out, you know, you might jump ahead two or three holes. We actually followed Ricky for the first couple. Then we jumped out to the captain's uh, pavilion out behind nine and we were able to, you know, get ahead of them. And then you watch, you know, three groups go through nine, 10 and 11. And then, you know, then you jump ahead to 14. So so you, you, you got to find your spot and then you're not quick to run. You're going to watch a few groups go through but their pace of play is really slow in this event yeah it's a pure grind and it's pretty cool because it reminded me of college golf because when we're on 10 a little 144 yard par three and you got stricker <laughs> writing down what the players are hitting as they're hitting it in the bunker short or you know a couple guys flew the green you know he's walking back to the tee telling the next guy what they hit
0: well it sounds like it was an amazing experience being at the president's cup and it's really actually nice to see that they have righted the ship and I cannot wait to see what Paris is going to be like for the Ryder cup. So let's, let's kind of get a little back on topic here. You're starting the game now, clearly, uh, by your listening to your accent, perhaps you can tell our, our audience what it was like to, uh, to grow up in, uh, in Southern Arkansas. What was that like?
1: <laughs> well, at a real young age, my parents moved to New Jersey Shock. and, uh, Yeah, (laughs) that's where I got the accent. Now, uh, so grew up in uh, northern New Jersey. Actually, when I was born in 76, my father took his first head professional job at a club called Tammy Brook Country Club in Crestville, New Jersey. Um, So, yeah, so from an early on age with him being in the business, I spent many a Saturday or holiday afternoon up at a at a country club. Probably locked in the uh, office in the pro shop, so I couldn't get in trouble or do anything to get him fired.
0: Yeah. Now, we we have a a very distinctly different upbringing in the game of golf. You're son of a a head golf professional. You know, I kind of was knocking around at at, at Muni's and kind of, you know, getting, you know, clubs secondhand and, and, you know, picking ranges to try and get golf balls and kind of trying to figure out a way to get onto golf courses. Do you feel that you had a distinct advantage Growing up around a country club and having a father as a head professional, you know, maybe you could speak to a little bit about that because I I guess everyone assumes that, hey, my dad's a pro, I'm going to be great.
1: I get that. And yes, there's parts that may seem that way because you're around golf all the time, but it's a little different when it's work. Fortunately for me, my dad uh, in 1984 built a driving range. So I was kind of in my high school year's a public course player, just like yourself. Okay, but my dad had a driving range, so you know we'd go back in the woods, and uh, the first 180 yards was water, and then it was it was tree lined So we'd go back in the woods and uh, learn how to curve balls, you know, low draws, high cuts around the trees to get them back in place so that you know the golf cart could pick up the balls. So yeah, I learned that, but again, similar to you, I didn't have you know, necessarily the country club to play at when, you know, my dad got back in the business. I was already, or back in the green grass business. Uh, I was already in, in, college at that point. So, you know, I didn't necessarily play that much as a kid, but I did, you know, work at a golf course. So I hit tons of golf balls. Okay. I, mean, I didn't, I didn't play very many rounds before high school golf. You know, the, the, on the flip side, my dad pretty much taught lessons all day. And when we were not, you know, picking up golf balls, we were on the tee line hitting golf balls. So, you know, at a young age or, you know, uh, I was probably eight, nine years old. And, uh, you know, he would have me perform in front of his his customers and oh, watch my kid hit the ball across the lake. So well, I had no problem, you know, being a nine, ten-year-old kid, you know, hitting the ball over the lake in front of, you know, 40 50 of his you know customers so, so it was cool to be put on the spotlight but you know it didn't really mean much because you know i was just a kid and gym shorts and a t-shirt hitting it far over the water
0: so obviously i know your family pretty well and obviously your father being a head professional uh you're the oldest of three boys uh peter the middle brother he played some golf he's not really in the game anymore but tell me about your youngest brother a.j
1: he, he got the golf bug early. You know, he was a lot more advanced because of us. He became a really good dominant junior player. Uh, and then he actually followed in my father's footsteps and became a PGA professional. He has his own golf school up in Paramus, New Jersey. Interesting fact about him. He's gotten to the point a year and a half ago that he was bored with golf. And decided he would take the game up lefty. I I
0: know I know about this and it's and I've seen videos of it. It's the most it's it's unreal. Like he's
1: exactly. he's got a two year goal to break eighty, and he's come very close. He's had eighty one. I think he's at an eighty two or eighty three. He definitely has the ability to. His short game's so much better. It just you know it takes a lot of repetition. To get the arm strength to hit it far enough. Sure. So you know he struggles out of the rough or trying to hit some long irons, but he he has a newfound love for the game, lefty.
0: Now you mentioned that you really didn't play a whole lot um, before high school, so it sounds like golf was not your pri- was not your primary sport.
1: Definitely not. Okay, so golf was probably the fourth. Okay. Sport for me, uh, football was very big. Pretty much, all my brothers and I were were all state athletes in football, and then golf was kind of just there. Okay. My dad kind of instituted with us that you know it wasn't mandatory we play, but we better learn the game because we're going to need it later in life. But you know, you know, as a as a twelve year old kid, the last thing I want to do is go hit golf balls. It was let's go play some baseball, let's go play basketball or football, anything other than golf. It wasn't necessarily. The cool thing back then,
0: right, right.
1: We would go to the range and there was batting cages. We'd take batting practice and we'd go, you know, chip some balls or ride the picker or, you know, go sure. in the back and make a, make a golf club. I think by the time I was 11, 12 years old, I had enough time in the epoxy for making clubs or had the ability to regrip a club probably by the time I was 10, 11 years old.
0: So you played a lot of sports as a kid. What was it like when you really did get committed to golf?
1: Once we got committed to playing high school golf at DePaul High School, we ended up having a spectacular team. I happened to be the captain playing number one. My buddy, Anthony Scalba, who went to Palm Beach Community, then played on the Nike tour for a little bit, was the two-man. My brother, Pete was probably the three-man. Another good athlete, Jeffrey Heaney, who ended up playing at Bergen Community College, was our four-man. Sean Thomas played at Rutgers and Sean Staczynski. I don't know what ended up happening with him, but we had basically five scholarship athletes on our golf team. We went to uh, the States and we played... At, I think it was Farmstead. I'm gonna say I shot 76, a little down in the dumps, you know, a typical 16 year old kid. Sure. And uh, my score didn't count. So in high school, we played four of the five scores. So we had, yeah, we had really, really a solid golf team, one that the state uh, section. So, so we had a really, really solid golf team. Uh, come my junior year, I start playing really good won the uh the junior masters which was down at manisquan river my game started to get you know pretty good and uh started looking at colleges and uh then i played with a couple guys who was going to seaton hall i was a pretty good student i was definitely not an honor roll student but when i learned about you know at least up here in new jersey um the value proposition of of the alumni at Seton Hall and all the school had to offer, you know, up in the Northeast, I was, you know, pretty excited by it went there on one of my visits and really kind of fell in love with the school. The basketball team was awesome. Obviously they were a final four team and uh, you know, it was tough. But then once I got in there, this was, was maxing out going, you know, to Seton Hall,
0: so you're kind of so, uh, you're kind of shooting for the moon there, and that was like your. I was okay.
1: I was golf wise. the The team was um was decent, but was not great by any means. We came in, and uh, it ended up being one senior and four of us freshmen playing, and uh, we ended up really, really being like the first run of scholarship athletes there. And since then, the team's been under you know unbelievable. But uh, you know, it was it was definitely a game changer going there. I, I got my my start, Coach Alan Small, you know, one of the best players up in the uh, in the Met section, was uh was my coach. You know, tons of tons of fun. I mean we played every day, different games, fun times with our friends and and, and building, you know, what was our weakness on the golf course. Uh Seton Hall was in the big east. I think I had a fourth or fifth place finish at uh, St. John's up at Bethpage
0: Black. Tied for fourth, oh. but we will give that to you. Yes, sir. Was it tied for fourth it? 151, maybe? Uh, that's kind of what I see. Yeah, we'll give you a T4 for 151. Pretty good.
1: So picture playing Bethpage Black in October. I think back then I had a beryllium ping one iron, which compressed <laughs> the ball better than a driver. <laughs> But it was, you know, a game changer, that event, because I specifically remember getting my first top five and saying, wow, I played unbelievable. But then you go and look at, it was golf week, or what are the, what are the golf magazines? And you start seeing these schools in Florida, and these kids are shooting like 68, 67. Yeah. I was like, wow, different game. But as we got better at C Hall, we started playing in some better events and realized, The golf courses up in the Northeast are as tough as they get. And your window of of good golf when you're at school is really, really short. So you're playing difficult golf courses under really, really difficult conditions. So I kind of got in my mind that I may want to pursue going to Florida. And uh, at the time, I was playing pretty good golf. A little bit too good because I decided school wasn't that important. And I wasn't really doing my best at Seton Hall.
0: You know they like you to go to classes periodically. I, at least yeah. I remember that they're they're really big on that stuff.
1: I didn't realize I saw that syllabus and I'm like, okay, it sounds like I have to be here three days: midterm, final, and first day to get the syllabus.
0: Mm-hmm. No, you know oh. I
1: thought I had it conquered. Okay, and uh, didn't work out so well. So. uh I guess after my second year, I went back to school, redshirted. My third year did not play. And uh, we had made our way down to, I guess it's in Delray Beach, the Atlantis Golf Club down by you. We were playing in a father-son tournament. And uh, the Floyds play, Jesper Parnovic, uh, who else? Bob Murphy, Dana Quigley. Uh, Bernie Longer, a ton of tour players. Sure. So we, we uh, are playing in that. And, uh, there was a gentleman there named David Pizzino playing with his father. So we were just shooting the shit, um, talking about life, whatever. He was from Burton County, New Jersey and said, you know, to my dad, what are your boys up to? My dad kind of alluded to they're playing golf, but they're not really doing so great academically. And, uh, so he said, well, you know, would you let me have a chance at him? And uh, he said, well, it's up to them. Because at that point, I think he was kind of done with us not going to school. Sure. So uh, Coach Bizzino gave us an op, gave me actually an opportunity to come down to South Florida and go to St. Thomas.
0: And that, that kind of takes us to when we first met. So we, you know, now that we actually are talking about it, we actually had pretty similar routes to get to St. Thomas. I had gone to the University of Kansas for a couple of years. I didn't play golf there, but I didn't do great academically. I came back and, and kind of worked some odd jobs, and, and my, uh, my meeting with, with uh, Coach Bazzino was was pretty similar. So you go from playing really tough golf courses in the, in the, in the Northeast and then you come down to South Florida, and you're in Miami, Florida. And obviously, St. Thomas is not Big East. it's It was, at that time, uh, NAIA, I believe, Sun yeah. Florida Sun Conference. Yeah. And, you know, there we are. And, and basically, we show up the same year, which was 1997. And, and what were your first impressions just coming from, from that atmosphere to St. Thomas?
1: It was kind of funny because I had never seen the school. I just knew I needed an opportunity. Sure. So coach gave me the opportunity and I said, yes, accepted a scholarship. I didn't even know anything other than it was in Miami. And I just kind of thought of Miami being South beach and Doral. Sure. Didn't realize really. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) yeah, St. Thomas university is not in Miami. So St. Thomas (laughs) university is in, and Hey, by the way, we're both very proud graduates. No, St. Thomas I mean, University. Very proud. And, listen, uh,
1: you know how many times that street is on the, the show Cops? I,
0: damn, I, I'm going to edit that out. No, I won't. But anyway, so um, yeah. So it, it's so, in, uh, it's in Miami Gardens. Do you remember the three legged dog that ran out ran out by the entrance all the time? Yep. Okay. All right. So we'll just leave we'll just leave it at that. We're gonna move on because hey, go to stu.edu, go check it out. It's a great school. So anyway, um you're 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 getting in you're you're getting your feet wet and and we're playing um you know we're we're running into all these different uh, guys on the team and and we all really you know meshed i think i think we meshed all pretty well to be honest with you I think it was a, it was
1: a, amazing how it was every walk of life oh yeah. yeah actually none of us i don't think we're you know country club kids we all just kind of had a little knack for the game and and kind of just fell together and that's where we ended up
0: yeah no i i totally agree with you it was it was a very um and and i was just you know for me just being on a college golf team i never dreamed i would i would have that opportunity so i was just thrilled to be there and so one of the the i mean we have a lot of stories we can talk about the college days but so i think the first tournament that we had and i actually had to look this up because there's really i mean I really uh, hope yeah. I really hope you get into this story because so the first tournament I looked this up um it was our home tournament and it's at the golf club of Miami and this is back in 1997 and and I think we were able to put the A team and the B team out you run the A team I think I was yeah. probably playing like, yeah
1: I remember yeah so I'm yeah. Play,
0: so I'm playing like the six or seven spots so I'm like the two man on the B team and I'm just basically like just trying not to embarrass myself and, and I think I played actually pretty well on the first day it was a Saturday um, I think I shot one over two over something like that. I was thrilled and I, if I remember right you uh, I looked it up I think you shot like 71 or something like that and, and I think we were leading the tournament or tied with Brevard Community College but we were right up there and I, as I said this is Saturday October 25th 1997 we're leading and Another thing happened on Saturday, October 25th. Um, that was game six. The Cleveland
1: of- Indians were in
0: town. Yes, they were. So <laughs> this is <laughs> this is game six of the World Series. Uh, Florida Marlins. They are Miami Marlins now. But Florida Marlins against the Indians. And what I are you... I think it was
1: El Duque even pitching. Uh- I think that night.
0: It's very possible. But why don't we just kinda well actually no, that would have been Levon Hernandez, El Duque, yeah, that was his older brother. You're right. But You're before, right. Bef- right. yeah, but wow. before this turns in before this turns into a baseball podcast, which is not my intention, <laughs> let's go ahead and get into you shoot your seventy one, we're leading the tournament, Coach is just fired up. What happened that night, Willie? Pretty what- psyched What pretty happy. Okay.
1: Uh Rich Merton who I believe shot 69 day one.
0: I, I think uh, you're right.
1: His father had, uh, two tickets for game six of the world series. Kind of behind the duck, but no, I was actually you know up behind home plate in the mezzanine section. And, uh, rich said, what do you think? I said, well, I have my parents car. Um, I'll drive. You got the tickets. Let's do this. So, uh, Yeah, we head in, and this was the first for me, because I had never sat in that mezzanine section. You can order chicken wings and beers from your seat. Okay. You used to always have to go up and kind of pick them up, and you can only buy one or two at a time. They check your ID. Yeah, we probably didn't have legitimate IDs. We had IDs.
0: That's details. Details. That's fine. That's details.
1: (laughs) Sometimes you don't get away with it. Well, when you're at the seat, they they're not checking your ID. So the beers were flowing and, uh, it was a heck of a game from what I remember. Unfortunately, we did not get to see the last pitch for some odd reason. They asked us to leave.
0: Now that sounds kind of rough. Why would they do such a thing? Well,
1: probably miss us. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> so needless to say, uh, It was a quick exit for us. We could not find the car, which was not a good thing. So, uh, yeah, we had to get picked up, and uh, it was late. I think we went out after. And uh, I remember being brought up to the driving range of Country Club in Miami and uh, laying my golf towel down and taking a little nap before we had to tee it up. Yeah. I, I think we we're working on maybe a half hour, 45 minutes sleep.
0: Yeah. Was, I, uh, yeah. I remember this very well. Cause I was still in, in, you know, full on grind mode, trying to throw numbers up that just resembled a decent golf score. <laughs> and I knew that you went to the game with Merton and, you know, Pizzino was coming up to me like, where's Will, where's Will. I'm like, I, I don't know, coach. I, I don't know. <laughs> and I just remember you and Will showing up, or I'm sorry, you and Merton showing up very, very late. And, um, I distinctly remember you looked awful. Um, yeah,
1: I, I wasn't caring what I was going to shoot. I was thinking how embarrassing it's going to be when I throw up all day. <laughs> that was really the thought process. Oh,
0: Actually, man. somehow I
1: think – I don't know. You, you know what it was. I don't know what the number was. I think I did all right, though.
0: You shot 73 on no sleep. <laughs> Not that. <bad>. Yeah. <laughs> i gotta go back to that ritual if well yeah like you have to go back to it i think you're already there so all right so so that was literally that was a a, that was something i'd never seen because i i was very much just like i said just a total grinder just trying to make things happen and and i just was amazed when when that happened so um so we had a lot of good experiences at at saint thomas a lot of good tournaments a lot of man, a lot of Friday morning practice sessions out in that backfield that they oh, do Oh gosh. So, so we would, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. it was a little baseball field. I guess didn't the Orioles practice there or something. They always well, told us the grass sacred. well, the, the Miami
0: Dolphins, <laughs> the Miami Dolphins actually use St. Thomas as a, as training camp, but, but coach Mazzino had basically mowed out this backfield and threw some stakes up and that was our range. But, um, Oh, gosh, I just remember we would have classes. Well, a lot of us had classes, uh, Spice. So um, we had classes Monday through Thursday. And then um, as just a, a special brand of torture, because Coach knew that we would go out Thursday nights and, and take it pretty deep. Yeah, it was early Friday, he right? You would set those damn early. Friday morning 8 a.m. practice sessions. And, um, yeah, those, those, yeah, those are, those were just unfair.
1: I do remember how... The- we were trying to someone got hit. We used to try to hit each other. <laughs> and they would go out to pick up the ball.
0: <laughs> I I I do remember that. Yeah, I think that I think was
1: – I think it was Tweety. Maybe Dion or James. Someone hit Tweety. <laughs>
0: yeah, so Tweety, just so our guest, yeah, Tweety is a nice little uh uh a nickname we gave to uh, John Scheidel, one of our uh, I would say player manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's that's an honorable title, player manager or uh, Dion Gonzalez' uh, personal attaché. Um, <laughs> so so he did a lot for the team. But yeah, I do remember those. So we 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 got St. Thomas got to I believe about tenth or eleventh ranked nationally in NAIA. We made a trip to nationals. Um, Boy, actually,
1: we made the cup both years.
0: That's right. That's right. So so really a respectable. Um, tenure uh, at st thomas uh, playing golf uh, did you have any aspirations of potentially trying to play pro or where did things take you right after college
1: initially as soon as i was done i had already accepted a job up at essex Fell country club as i guess the third assistant it was someone you know just in the shop maybe worked with the juniors so i'd spent the summer there and uh immediately went back down to Florida because it was not for me up here in the winter. And I think that's where I played the most, uh, a lot of those one and two day South Florida events. And then I came back up and decided I wanted more free time and wanted to build a business similar to my dad. So I started teaching at uh, the Golden Bear Driving Range in Wayne and uh, would give 12, 15 lessons a day. Obviously they were half hours. Sure. It was a grind. It was definitely a grind. Uh, and you learn a lot about yourself when you're standing up on there and watch them top it for a half an hour. Um,
0: I don't think enough people really understand what the life of a club pro is really like. They assume you're just hitting balls all the time hobnobbing with the members, maybe taking them out for a quick nine, having a couple beers. It's not really like that, is it?
1: You made some pretty good money, but when you realize that someone came in and I think back then I was charging maybe $45 a half hour. So for $45, I had a half hour and this person expected me to make them better as a person when they left. And it took a little while, you know, maybe the first thousand lessons I didn't understand. And then I finally was like, wait a minute. They're looking for personality. They want to be a, have a good time and come out of this with something. They're not necessarily going to knock three shots off their game. So you had to really learn sales because you were selling yourself. You didn't have a product. Sure. Essentially, you were up on that lesson to selling yourself. And I got a little burnt out because all I did was teach, teach, teach. The more you teach... Typically the worse your game gets. So it's a little frustrating on that end. So uh, I decided to get back into the green grass world. And, and, and explain, uh,
0: just, just for, for our listeners, just uh, for, what, what do you mean by green grass? You mentioned that earlier. So explain what green grass is.
1: All right. so, so when you work at a dragon range up here in their snow, they want this thing operating year-round. So essentially it's astroturf now. Back then, it was mats on top of cement or tar.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> real good for your elbows. Yeah, not so. Um, much. So that that was a, a synthetic golf course, essentially that you were hitting off of a mat. Then when you go to a country club, you have what's known as green grass. So they're not hitting off of, you know, a mat on tar. They're actually hitting off of real grass. So uh, decided to take a job as an assistant back at a green grass club, which was North Jersey Country Club in Wayne. And uh, met some awesome, awesome people, life-changing people. Um, And when you work at a country club as an assistant, you really learn the dynamics of a country club and about people, how successful people become that they can spend Wednesday at noon having a Caesar salad and going to tee it up in the afternoon. Sure. Or Saturday, Sunday. You know, these guys – And I was like, wow, this is pretty interesting. So I always had this vision in my head. You got to figure out a way to design a business plan that circles around golf. In the meantime, I was just an assistant. Uh, I had an awesome teaching ability, good playing record, won a couple assistant events. um, And I became the go-to guy for all the members.
0: So you mentioned all these lessons. What, I mean, give me a story of just a nightmare lesson. There had to have been like, I mean, I'm sure there were tons, but give me an example of just a nightmare lesson.
1: So, (laughs) totally, totally. not man, this is great. So I had a guy who uh, had taken lessons from everyone at the driving range and they were like, dude, there's no way you can help this guy. He has been shanking for 30 years. He will never not shank. Now, when you're at a a public driving range, the stalls were just like a piece of plywood, and they were only about six feet apart. So, like, you could hit someone in your backswing. But, you know, when you're teaching someone, you have to get between where they're hitting and that piece of plywood. Sure. Sure. You know, you're, you're trying to look head on and, and kind of see their impact position, their setup, blah, blah, blah. The <laughs> first swing he makes, I think he was hitting like a half wedge. The ball went between my legs. Picture, Like, I'm standing face on. Like, it went exactly sideways between my legs, hit the plywood, and rolled right back on the mat. And I was like, wow, that's impressive. So now I decide, you know what? We're going to take a different approach here. So I start from you know the the, the down the line angle and start watching him from there. Again, the soft in his arms, you know, he, he's he's actually making contact. A lot of, I think it was a lot of fairway woods we were hitting because uh, it's really hard to hit one off the neck with that. So sure enough, I built my confidence up, and uh, <laughs> I get back in there. Face on, looking at him eye, eye to eye, and he hits one that comes off the club and hit me in the shin so hard. <laughs> and all I could say was, "You so deserve this. He felt terrible. He locked up because I was in front of him, and he hit hit the ball and it went, you know, it literally went directly sideways, hit me right in the inside of my right shin. I hobbled back, and I don't think I stood back in there for probably. A month or two, because it hurt. So that was, yeah, that was that was quite interesting.
0: All right, so that one's pretty bad. Um, it sounds to me that you spent your time as an assistant, obviously in your early twenties, really enjoyed that part of your life. But I think it sounds like you really kind of saw yourself doing more, and like you said, you kind of get burnt out on it. Um, now, you said you're an assistant at North Jersey, so you, this was not your first experience with North Jersey, was it?
1: our high school golf team had the luxury of utilizing the front nine there for one of our conferences. So that was actually our home course uh, in high school. So it was a little coming home party when I came back and was the assistant because it was a lot of people that I had known from caddying. And uh, I did that, I guess, probably like four years. And uh, my father-in-law actually – and a group of guys, Vinny Arciero, Mike Peasy, they used to they hit and uh, used to just watch me, you know, kid, they used to have a kid, kid, what are you gonna do? Like, this is only gonna take you so far. So I said, I don't know. And you know, one mentioned, Oh, maybe you should go day trader, work on Wall Street. That was the hot thing back then. Sure. And then uh Vinny, my father in law, said, You should think about the mortgage business. I'm like, I rent. I was like, I don't even own a home. He's like, well, you could always try it for the winter. If you don't like it, you go back and, and work at the club. So uh, with that, I got into the mortgage business. Uh, the owner of the mortgage company was a big golfer. He played in a bunch of different pro-ams as the amateur. Uh, we sponsored a lot of golf events. So golf was, was, was a thing. And uh, took it from there. At that point, I left golf. I didn't play. Really focused on, you know, I wanted to succeed in this mortgage business. I wanted to learn what it was about. Uh, started to play golf a little bit. Was getting invited by vendors. So uh, it was a struggle for a little bit. Because you couldn't hit the shots you used to be able to hit. Right. But, uh, you know, you always have a couple beers and a laugh, so... It was fine, and then uh, started to get into it a little bit more and uh, ended up joining North Jersey as a house and sport member. And uh, my big curiosity was I always wanted to know what it was like to pay to play golf because typically when you're in college playing or you're the son of a golf pro or an assistant golf pro, you don't want to be seen on the first hole because you're a freebie. So all you do is hurry up. Let's get in the cart. Let's get the heck out of here. Let's get to the first green, and we'll figure out a game. We'll figure everything out. Just get out of here. So I always had that curiosity, like, what's it like to actually, you know, pay and go use a locker room and tip balls? And, then, you know, if you want to sit down on the first tee, you can sit down and have a sandwich whatever. I just wanted to see what that was like. It was always that curiosity. It was interesting.
0: That's actually very interesting that you mentioned that. So you basically grew up as the son of a, of, a, of a head pro. You play college golf, you're caddying at this club, you work your way up, you're an assistant pro, and you finally get to the part where of your life where you're a, a member, you know whatever the the you know social member, full member, whatever the, your status is, But you finally get to the point in your, I'm assuming it's early 30s, where yeah. you're a full member at a club and, and then you actually feel comfortable at a golf course.
1: Well, you don't necessarily yet. Because now it's, you know, I'm one of these, you know, social trial member type of thing. I kind of, you know, my, my old boss, the head pro, was still the head pro. So, like, I go in the men's grill, like, my first instinct is go sit with the pro. Sure. And then if the pro's not there, now I'm sitting with people. And are they looking at me like I'm still the, you know, the kid from the bag room? Or, you know, am I a social member? They thought maybe I had more influence with the staff, so they would complain about the staff. So I never really felt like the first year, the first summer I was there, I didn't know where where I fit in. So I kind of, you know, stepped back with that. But it got my juices going. So I started to play in some, you know, one-day member guests, see some other clubs. Got my amateur status back, so now I have a handicap. I'm like, this is cool. I'm, you <laughs> know, seeing everything from the other side.
0: Yeah,
1: and I know what goes into it because I was, you know, did every job possible on the other side. You know, so uh, I decided it was time and anteed up and became a full A member, family member, whatever you want to call it, and uh, decided I'm now going to take my referral partners out to play golf and I'm going to build relationships on the cop course. Cause one, we don't have a cell phone. There's just no cell phone policy. So I got your attention for four or five hours in my sleep. I can still hit the ball forward. So the whole time, you know, they're in a weak position because they're constantly looking for their ball. Yep. So, uh, you know, after you land a couple accounts with it, you're like, wait a minute, I'd have to win a PGA tour event. Back then, to make what you could make in the mortgage business, playing golf. And I'm like, so what? My score doesn't count anymore. Big deal. But there was some sort of gratification knowing that you paid to play. You stand on that first tee. You're like, wow, this is it. Like, I worked my entire life on the other side. And now it's like, all right, just sit back, take this in, kind of enjoy it.
0: So when you brought clients or potential clients out to the club, and hosted them. Were you thinking about putting on a show as far as hitting great shots, making birdies or
1: the fact that I had so much love from the club? When I went up there with a client, they immediately were like, Oh my God, this kid's special because I knew everyone, whether Uh, it was, I shined their shoes or I gave them a dozen golf balls. I gave them a lesson. Everyone knew me. So that was more of the, the, the thing that I wanted you know, the, the client to see that that good side of me, the family side that everyone kind of clung to. I mean, listen, Ben, you know, at our level of golf, every single nine holes you play, you're going to hit a shot that everyone's going to be like, wow. I mean, it it's it just – it is what it is. Yep. You might not think it's that good, but you know immediately everyone's eyes are like, holy cow. You know, and, and you know, when you go from – playing at Southern Hills with all these people watching you in the NAIA national championship to team it up, you know, with three guys that aren't going to break a hundred. It's really not that big of a deal. Sure. Um, So you basically just
0: had the home court advantage just going to, to, to. So for a guy that's listening to this episode that has a, a, that's going to go play in some sort of a member guest, or a scramble, or some sort of an outing, and he's not the A player. W- what's your advice to someone in, that's, in that kind of a situation? How can they feel more comfortable? What should they do?
1: Go get a tennis racket.
0: All right. So, again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, seriously. That, that's, that's such a good question, because especially when I first left the business, everyone hears the word golf pro. They're like, can you tell me what I'm doing wrong? Listen, we're all paid. No one cares what you're doing wrong. So if you feel like you're going to be the weak link in the group, first thing you do on the putty green is say, introduce yourself and say, listen, I'm not an avid golfer. I'll tell you one thing. We're going to have a great time today. I'm going to get beers, whatever you want. We're going to have a good time. Then make sure not to bother the A player. Quit saying, what are you hitting? Why are you hitting? What are you going to do? With-? They don't care about what what you want to know from them. They want to play the wrong game. They, they, You know, if you're the worst person, you have a nervous habit of trying to overdo it with the best person. So my big thing is leave that guy. Let the best person be who he is. Talk to him about the birds. Anything other than golf. Because right now it feels like it's you're just asking for his time. And he's not being paid for this. Gotcha. So that's my big, big pet peeve when, you know, you get up and hit one, I don't know three ten off the first hole. They're like, can you watch me and tell me what I no. Absolutely not. I don't even want to look at you. And now I probably don't want to talk to you anymore. So like be fun. It's like don't don't ask for someone's time. It's just like everything else in the world, you know, at work. Don't ask for someone's time unless
0: you're paying for it. Gotcha. Gotcha. So so you get your amateur status back. Was there an event that you played in that really yeah. stuck out? that gave you the itch to get back into the game and devote some time to it in 2010
1: my high school teammate anthony scalba who had you know gone down to palm beach was back he was an amateur we played in the three-day invitational tournament at north jersey and uh we blew through the championship flight and uh we went the invitational which is pretty cool event it's a name on a board and it was really nice to have basically you know my best friend playing with me also caddying for me because you know he, he's talking you into shots that you might not want to hit um or weren't so comfortable with and it was really cool that was like a big grind point sure and uh it was amazing you know for a year everyone called me champ and all of a sudden like you know that gets your computer uh, competitive juices going. So uh, I ended up meeting uh, a gentleman by the name of Matt Worths, who ends up being a, a, one of my vendors now. Uh, he's a probably about a three or four handicap member at a couple country clubs. One is Baltusrol. So he and I hit it off at a, at a whiskey tasting. We play some golf. He can play. I can play. We end up playing a couple of member guests by him, a couple by me. We end up taking a trip to the mid-ocean uh, country club with a group of clients doing business on the golf course. And I was like, Wow, this is awesome. He gets it. Then we had a year where we won the gross division in six of the eight one day member guests at Baltash. <laughs>
0: God. All right, so now, when
1: you're playing at Roll, it's gross. There's no Halloway or Net. It's gross.
0: Straight up. So straight up. Okay. All
1: all the assistants, the head pro everyone knows my name from announcing it every single month in the in the one day. So now you know you're getting that going. So uh before I decided, you know, I would go tee it up for 18 by myself, one of the members at Baltus Roll told Matt, Hey, you guys should try to get an invite to the, uh, the couching line up in Vermont. It's a scratch event, two men, better ball, 70 team, 72 teams, go out and try to qualify, and then you get seeded and flighted based on what you grow shoot. He said, you know, I have a house up there. You guys go stay at my house. So uh, he and I go up, and uh, we qualify in the two seed. We're in the championship flight. Now it's interesting. So it's a week long event. So you go, you have your gross quality, you play a practice round, then your qualifier. Uh, the course was set up, I don't know, like 7,200 yards. Greens were rolling at like 14 in September. It's awesome. We start playing in these matches, and I'm looking, I'm like, wow, mini former mini tour guy, a former senior tour player, caddy master, club champions. Guys, I've seen their names in the US AMs and US mid AMs. I'm like, we got some interesting people in this flight. So we make our way through, we get to the finals, and uh, probably one of the best rounds I ever hit it. Uh, I think in the finals, I think I made seven birdies. Jeez. And uh, we ended up losing, yeah, one down on 18. And uh, we played awesome. And that really got my – it was funny because it really slowed down the game for me, got focused back, and immediately I'm walking, I'm carrying the towel, and I felt this is just like college or high school golf, except now I have a caddy, but you get in that same zone really quick. So that was like another real big uh, turning point for me to see that I definitely had the game to go back. And, and you know, play with these guys that were more recently out of, you know, mini tours and stuff like that. So that was, yeah, that was pretty cool. And uh, we always bust chops about it. Second place was like a piece of slate that I had buried in my
0: garden over here. <laughs> so, so, like, really? so so that, so that, you know, that's, that's, that's at least get like a bucket of balls or like a head cover or something. So. Yeah. So that was 2010. Obviously you have a good hold on the member guest uh, circuit up there in Jersey. What are your aspirations right now? Are you looking at potentially trying to qualify and play in some US Mid-Ams or other invitationals? What are you what are you working towards now? I have
1: such a respect and love for the game. I just like playing. I could care less if it's a one-day event, if it's just for fun, if it's a tournament or not. That doesn't really get me. I do once in a while get the competitive drive. So, you know, my my goal is probably in the next four or five years to build myself up in business so that I can play a little bit more, practice a little bit more. Probably, you know, when I get into my middle 40s, maybe start doing some state events, some pre-senior events, uh, Maybe even you know try a, a U.S. mid-am or something like that. Right now, I'm content. I play in these—I uh, forget what you guys call them—but the three-day member guests. Yeah. Which my wife caps me at five. I can't play more than five a year. Okay. But
0: that still sounds perfect. pretty good.
1: It's great. It's you know five nine-hole matches, no real shots, championship play. You're always playing from the tips. Uh, you know, Roll was last year, three weeks before the PGA. So they played us on the lower. They had the stands up. You have all this action, and it's all good golfers. Typically, I'm running into guys from Loyola, Georgetown, Lehigh, guys they played college golf against. So it's cool to see us all still have the respect and love for the game, even though we've all gone our own way and, and done what we've done and worked to become successful. But We all come back and all of a sudden we're telling stories about, you know, playing at the Rowell or playing at uh, Lansdowne or Georgetown or Petitikonk up in New Jersey. And, you know, really kind of going back to to college and then just grinding out, you know, and they're nice because, you know, let's face it, when you're not practicing a lot, all of a sudden you play a gross practice round. And then five nine hole matches. All of a sudden, you're starting to feel it. Sure. You roll some cuts in. You know, all of a sudden it's wow. Look at this! I just shot under par.
0: So now, <laughs> and and like this is so this is kind of typical of you know kind of like the the you know these these mid amateur events these um, you know member member invitations you know member guest invitations. So this is kind of typical of what like a cocktail circuit is, where you get invited to these 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 exclusive yeah. clubs and. You know, a lot of people listening right now maybe are playing, you know, just their regular Muni tracks or their their normal, you know, member, member, member guest country club games. But what's it like? I mean, just give me an example of what it's like to go and play in one of these events at Baltus Roll or at Winged Foot or at other these, these Northeast, you know, really traditional old school clubs. I mean, you know that that's not something that it's easy to get invited to or you know much less get an opportunity to play in you know what's that like
1: to me it's more impressive because what you got to do is go to the mga and and apply for a met open and go qualify it whatever course they put you on you know you go get a handicap card and whatever you shoot with your buddies one or two under and you have a low handicap can get in sure when you get invited to these you're sitting with ceos and cfos of fortune 500 companies so you're with the real deal and then they're the real deal in life but you also have to now compete with them so i find it amazing and a lot of the clubs up here do mostly gross believe it or not they don't you know when you get to the Elite places, the Pine Valleys, the Baltus Rolls, the Marion, they don't, there's no, there's they don't, want to, me, they don't or, want
0: to mess around with handicap they, nonsense. they, do they.
1: one or two net winners. They're announcing the real golfers in the room. Yeah. So it's pretty special when you get your name announced in that, you know, that kind of venue. And for me, obviously, having the love for the game and growing up, you know, doing everything with golf, when you play in these, the course is in the tip top shape. Because they're showcasing it. So when you go tee it up at, at Pine Valley or Raw and they got that place made for the daily event, you're not going to find anything better. And you know what's fun? You can go shoot 80 and make four birdies, and you're a hero. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I love. <laughs> nice. But now you're after, you're trying your best. You do want to, you know, try to put up a good number, but you just you get in awe with with. You know what, what, what your surrounding is at that moment.
0: Sure, sure. So
1: taking me to golf clubs, I never thought I would have ever
0: seen. Oh, I, I, can only imagine what that must be like. Um, You know, we we hit on the, the 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 term cocktail circuit, and in in our previous conversations, getting ready for this episode. You mentioned something about transfusions and, and no, we're not talking about any sort of a medical issue that you're having. Um, any sort of, you might need
1: one if you have too many.
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, but we're not talking about any sort of a plasma or platelet uh, 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 abnormality that you may have. Um, I, I'm just, I've, I really need to try one. Um, please explain, explain what a transfusion is. Explain, explain uh, how it, how it leads into golfing greatness Got- it's the country
1: club drink of choice up here. Okay, um, and being a South Pine Florida, Valley.
0: yeah, being a South Florida guy, I am not familiar with this. Uh,
1: Pine Valley has the turtle soup. You know, everyone's got their little thing. Up in North Jersey, we have the transfusion. Now, you need to be at a country club close to the inner city or New York City, some type of major city to to find it, because. It's vodka, ginger ale, and grape juice. But it's not any particular... I mean, it's a particular type of grape juice. Not any grape juice will do. It has to be Welch's. (laughs) You need the old-school Welch's for a true transfusion. Okay. And your first experience, you suck the first one down. Like That was sweet. That was good. By the time you have your fourth, you are crawling to the golf cart. They really can make... uh, Make for an interesting afternoon.
0: Give me one of the most disturbing scenes you've experienced on the golf course due to uh, transfusions.
1: Oh. <laughs> Wait a minute. Do you have
0: do, do you have one, or are you just? Oh, are you, I are you, immediately
1: are you... think of one.
0: All right. Let uh, me step away from the microphone. Go ahead.
1: I, I want to try to keep this PG and not get him in trouble too much. Michael is uh, a public course guy. Michael probably plays five, six times a year. Michael comes up as my guest. Michael thinks, I'm just going to have a lot of beers and a good time. So as soon as we get there, he runs to the halfway house. He's like, give me four beers. Comes back to the car, Mike. Hey, Mike, listen, I appreciate it, but. I don't really spend all day drinking beers out here. So they go, like, oh, I'll drink. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to go over inside and get a transfusion. Oh, what's that? I said, well, it's wow, it's a drink of choice up here. So Michael says, uh, can you get me one too? I'm like, what are you going to do with those four beers? Are you going to give them back? So he said, yeah, I'll talk to Lee in the halfway house. So I'm like, okay. He runs back to the halfway house. I get a couple transfusions. At North Jersey, it's pretty cool because you can hit the halfway house quite a few times. (laughs) Hold one, two, three, come right back to the house. After nine, back, like you you hit this thing enough. So, uh.
0: Sounds like a brilliant routing by North Jersey, by the way.
1: Genius. Genius. Walter Travis was genius on that. So, uh. Michael uh, probably has half a dozen. And, uh. Wait a minute, half a dozen beers or
0: half a dozen transfusions?
1: Half a dozen transfusions. Oh, he's, no. he's definitely, you know, the, the shirt's starting to come out. You can tell Michael hasn't been at a country club very long. So uh, we go upstairs to the locker room. And, you know, why don't you guys go shower up, get changed? Uh, I'll go set us up downstairs, you know, at the table for dinner. I uh, get a call from the locker man hey you might want to come up your guests get a little wild i come back upstairs to the locker room to see my guest naked running through the bathroom and launching himself into the jacuzzi
0: (laughs) oh no
1: kids be careful Transfusions are an adult drink.
0: Okay, <laughs> so, so he was—he was
1: literally getting in a three-point stance, running, and launching into the jacuzzi. And yes, North Jersey does have a, Jac- a jacuzzi
0: well it used to all right well whoever whoever michael is uh please uh get michael a helmet and some uh floaties next time you take him out for a (laughs) round of golf he
1: definitely needs floaties all right so
0: good to know six transfusions equals uh uh two and a half gainer into the uh, hot tub all right well you didn't disappoint with that story and now time for a quick bucket All right, Spice, you've lasted this long. We are going to get you out of here with our little segment here at the end called The Quick Bucket. Just some random questions. Just want to see what your answers will be. And the first one, Jack Nicklaus' victory in the 1986 Masters at the age of 46 or Tiger Woods' fifth green jacket? Which would be the more substantial victory?
1: Tiger's fifth jacket, hands
0: down. Okay. Any particular reason?
1: because he took the game to a level that's never seen before. And especially with what he's going through now for him, just to, if he came back and won another masters, it just, it would be incredible.
0: Okay. Here's another question. Give me one thing that would make the game of golf better for the average player.
1: Uh, I think 14 holes golf hole the size of a manhole cover you play in two two and a half hours I mean think about that you have 40-50 yard shots you're trying to hole it how cool would that be and how many times by the time you get to 14 you're like I'm done yep (laughs) I can't take these guys anymore I'm done
0: (laughs) I surrender (laughs) so a 14 hole golf course with holes the size of manhole covers
1: that would be tremendous
0: i that does sound fun spice thanks so much for being a guest on the back of the range
1: next time though we'll get into some of your dark stories oh
0: dear god no next next time we have to do this at baltus roll over some transfusions
1: we can do that we can do that
0: and that was willie spicer thank you to him for being a guest here at the back of the range so if you see him rolling up in a golf cart and he has some sort of a purple colored drink in his hand Just don't plan for too much money. Thanks so much for listening this week. Again, follow us on Instagram. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts. Leave some reviews. Let me know how things are going. And if you know someone that wants to be on the show, shoot me an email. Ben at thebackoftherange.com. Thanks. I'll see you next week.